0: Hello and welcome to The Tide Podcast, a podcast about type 1 diabetes and disordered eating. Hello and welcome back to The Tide Podcast. I'm joined today by Mickey Bennett, Nikki Stacy, and Lindsay Rouse um can I get you guys to introduce yourselves before uh before we go any further perhaps Mickey if you could start
1: yeah sure um my name is Mickey Bennett and I'm an eating disorder specialist uh with nursing background with the eating disorder service um and the tide project in Dorset great thank you Mickey and Nikki. Hi, I'm Nikki
2: Stacey and I'm one of the diabetes specialist nurses um, working as part of the Compassion Project alongside Mickey and Lindsay. Brilliant, thank you. And finally, Lindsay.
3: Hi, yes, I'm Lindsay Rouse and I'm a clinical psychologist um, working uh, with Nikki and Mickey in the um, Compassion Project. My role normally is as a psychologist in the diabetes team. Brilliant.
0: Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me um, on this episode of the podcast today. So um, we're going to be talking about risks of developing an eating disorder today. Um, So in the last episode I recorded with uh, Helen and Carla, we kind of established that that people with type one diabetes are at a higher risk of developing an eating disorder. So I wanna figure out why that is today. Um, But before we dive into that nuance, I wondered if um, perhaps Mickey, if you could uh, explain broadly why people, whether they have type one diabetes or not, why they develop eating disorders?
1: Well, a lot of that is still unknown, although there is some evidence that there is a genetic predisposition. Um how many of the population have that genetic predisposition, we don't know because it's not a, a single gene that can be tracked as far as we can tell. Um, so on the understanding that we have perhaps a predisposition to it, then there are various factors that might cause that predisposition to be triggered. Um, those things might be uh, trauma, they might be Um, There could be anything that would cause a psychological problem. But in addition to the psychological triggers, there can also be physical triggers. Um, I have known people who um, have developed eating disorders following uh, gastric flu or food poisoning or... um, obviously, for some people going on diets, although dieting is not a cause. If you have that genetic predisposition, you can find yourself struggling to stop the dieting, or in fact, engaging in behaviours that are that categorises an eating disorder as part of your efforts to lose weight.
0: Interesting. Thank you, Mickey. Um, so, are there kind of, I guess, uh, societal factors, societal pressures that um, make eating, eating disorders more likely? I'm thinking specifically um, kind of glorification of extremely thin models, for example.
1: Certainly with our narrowing of what is an acceptable body, um, we're pushing anybody with an inclination, with a with disposition a, a into a place where they're likely to want to lose weight. We also know that individuals with a perfectionist personality are at higher risk, and these ideals of perfection that we see in the social in social media are are very um, likely to be triggers uh, for someone to start striving for that perfection that they see as attainable. Um, and, you know that is seen also in the in the increase in plastic in plastic surgery, uh, where people will just not tolerate imperfection and they need to have the bodies that they see on the screens.
0: Mm, That's interesting. And you said diets aren't necessarily a cause of eating disorders, but they can trigger people. Is it fair to say that any kind of extreme focus on food, on what you're eating can trigger people that perhaps had a predisposition to eating disorders already?
1: Yes, that certainly seems to be the case. And uh, the diet fads that we see um, at the moment and and have done for the last few years certainly push people in that direction. Um, Anything that that makes you overly concerned with weight, shape and food um, can certainly trigger uh, difficulties. Great, that
0: seems like a good place to segue into talking specifically about type 1 diabetes. Um, I'm not sure who would like to take this question but I guess I, I want to know kind of what it is about type one diabetes then that, or I should say possibly the management of type one diabetes, um, that, that puts people at a high risk of eating disorders, perhaps Nikki or Lindsay. Yeah. I can, um, Answer
2: this. So um, there's a quote actually from one of the from a US psychologist, um, Anne Gobel Fabry, that she says um, teaching a person how to be a perfect diabetic is akin to teaching them how to have an eating disorder. And although we know that there's no such thing as perfect diabetes, it highlights how teaching people to manage their diabetes can increase their vulnerability to develop an eating disorder so right from diagnosis a person may associate insulin with weight gain so the body needs insulin to utilize the food that we eat for energy so without that sufficient insulin um we see weight loss and that can be a symptom of undiagnosed um, diabetes particularly type 1. so um, a person with diabetes may have lost weight prior to their diagnosis so when they start their treatment with insulin The body begins to heal and rebuild, um, and there can be an association between the two. Mm
1: -hmm. So, it's
2: important for us as healthcare professionals to sort of forewarn that there's a potential for weight gain, but emphasize that this is the insulin allowing the body to restore to a healthy
0: state. Yeah, that makes sense. It's that kind of initial um, shock, I guess. I had the same thing when I was first diagnosed. I went from um, being possibly the thinnest that I'd been in my life pre-diagnosis obviously because I was starving to um gaining like a a frankly shocking amount of weight in a space of a couple of weeks which was mostly water as it happens but still that's quite um it's quite difficult to uh to see happen particularly um particularly as a young woman that's struggled with like body image issues and stuff in the past
2: yes yeah we see that and it's I think it's important to forewarn people so that they know to expect it and as Mm. you said some of that is fluid so it's it's not actually weight
0: Mm, definitely um is there anything around diagnosis and becoming diabetic uh that that kind of has a psychological effect on people lindsay
3: Yeah. I think diagnosis can be um, a time of difficulty um, for a number of reasons. I think sometimes diagnosis can arrive at a time of life that's particularly difficult. um, Thinking about you know, even teenage years, perhaps when uh, a, a number of people might be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes or other periods of life when change is happening and trying to accommodate all of the, the tasks of managing type 1 uh, or other forms of diabetes into normal everyday life can be um, can be challenging. Um, and I think also it raises for people kind of questions about themselves and their identity, how they fit into their peer groups um, or not, how it might set them apart from other people and how they might start to reflect upon um, the relationship with their body Um, and sometimes people might use the term of feeling like they have their body might be a bit broken in some ways and how that might um, impact upon how they feel about themselves um, and their their worth as a human being or at least the worth of their body and how it measures up to other people's and I think, you know, actually living with diabetes can be hard. And I think something that we talk about a lot with the people with diabetes that we work with um, are around the elements of diabetes distress that they might experience um, living day to day, managing um, a long term health condition. Um, you know, Some people use the words relentless, you know, in terms of describing um, what those daily tasks of self-management might be like. Um, And I think that might well be something that we need to be kind of thoughtful about and how that might contribute um, to being more at risk of then segueing into an eating disorder.
0: Mm, That makes a lot of sense. And um, we've talked before about how diabetes is like, an extra thing to manage all the time and how uh, difficult that can feel for people. I think particularly um, perhaps teenagers or young people when they're diagnosed, there's so much going on in your life at that point anyway, to have to deal with diabetes on top of that and all the things that go along with managing diabetes effectively, that's, that's a lot to deal with.
1: Mm.
3: Mm. And that's what we hear from the people um, that we work with. Um, I don't think there's any good time to be diagnosed with diabetes particularly or any better <laughs> time. you know it, uh, there's always a challenge associated with that um, as a long term health condition um, but certainly we know that actually being a younger person um, when people are particularly um, you know uh, aware of how they might fit in with their peers and, and how uh, or, or how they might not um, that can be particularly challenging
0: yeah absolutely um... I sometimes analogize having diabetes to um, in terms of how I, I guess, feel about everything, you know, my capacity to deal with problems. Let's say if I had a a cup um, that a cup that is my ability to deal with problems and to kind of um, manage things emotionally, it's already half full with dealing with diabetes. So anything else that happens, I just have less capacity um, to deal with is that something that you think is a fair comparison
3: that 's a lovely analogy um a really lovely analogy and it and it does sort of describe doesn 't it that idea that you know um like we only have sort of certain capacity within our life to to kind of fit things in you know and actually diabetes does take um a lot of time and effort there's lots of things that it requires from us and you know there are a number of different figures banded around about how many little decisions that people with diabetes make each day in accordance with trying to 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 live well with it and and it's usually a a huge you know they're they're big numbers Um, and so like you say that already fills that that cup up Um, and at times when it's not going so well might even fill it you know more than halfway you know that you were describing Mm. so that kind of the capacity left to then cope with some of the other things that are thrown away um, can be can be really tested and and I think that's a that's certainly an analogy sometimes that we might hear other people that we work with describe um maybe using slightly different kind of metaphors but that sort of um, that idea that there's, a, you know, there's sometimes only certain amounts that we can take on, and that does mean that I guess that sometimes people choose to put down their diabetes a little bit, you know, to to think about what's possible um, on this day, or even sometimes to step away from it. And when we're talking about, with people, diabetes distress, so those kind of the the stress of living day to day with the relentless tasks of of the daily self-management that diabetes requires, actually, sometimes that tips over into what people might call diabetes burnout. Um, And I guess when we're talking about burnout, what we're talking about is, is taking that a step further, really, where people are feeling really fed up and done in with it and wanting to put it down completely, or at least only doing the bare minimum to perhaps stay safe, if that. Um, And that can be really concerning for the the individuals themselves at at times, but also for those people um, that love and care for them uh, around them.
0: Mm, For sure. Um, This is I I, probably a question that has many different answers. But how does that um, diabetes burnout relate to people with eating disorders? Um, I guess that is probably fairly uh, specific depending on people's individual presentation. But but do we do we know much about how those two things interplay?
3: In terms of what we've seen in the people that we've been working with to date, we've seen that diabetes distress has figured highly in the presentations of those people. When they're describing um, what's been happening, um, diabetes distress has really felt to be um, an important part of the picture and one that we couldn't kind of leave out in terms of thinking about how all this fits together and also what the way out of this might be. Um, I think that can be different for different individuals. Um, so some people might talk about how diabetes, distress and burnout perhaps precipitated entering into um, uh, perhaps an eating disorder. So, for example, um, uh, some of the people I've worked with have talked about having really felt like they're in a period of uh, months of diabetes burnout and that they'd left their diabetes behind a bit. But actually, as a result of that, had started to realise what that had um, meant for their their weight and their shape. And they'd started to see changes and maybe even received some comments upon that from other people that potentially f- they found reinforcing. Um, and it kind of cemented that idea that we were talking about earlier, that Nikki was talking about earlier, about that link between um, uh, weight and and insulin, um, and so that maybe a diabetes distress and burnout having been a precipitating factor. That's kind of one element of what we've seen. Um, uh, I think also diabetes distress just being an exacerbation of um, you know. Uh, or making it more difficult for somebody to make some of the changes that they might need to consider to make in terms of um, stepping away from an eating disorder mm. because away from an eating disorder means engaging with your diabetes again. But that means engaging with all these things that that comes along with, um, in terms of, um, engaging with things like perhaps carb counting or numbers as a more general kind of, um, category. Um, I don't know whether Mickey might want to say more here.
1: I think um, one of the struggles, um, you know, when we talk about re-engaging with um, the diabetes is that <clears throat> a classic treatment for eating disorders is trying to forget about numbers, trying to forget about calories, trying to have a more relaxed approach to eating. And one of the treatments for diabetes is to pay very close attention to labels Um because that helps you then with measuring your insulin requirements. So there are this and various other things where the treatment for an eating disorder and the treatment for diabetes actually clash. Um, And it's, you know, it's been part of our experience with this, this project is to try and find a way to use the knowledge we have about the treatment of eating disorders and the knowledge we have about the treatment of diabetes and pull something together that will actually support the ability to keep an eye on your carbohydrate content of your food whilst not getting obsessed with the number of calories and the fat content and what it's going to do to your body and all of that kind of thing. One of the things I did want to say, uh, just on the back of Lindsay's comments about the feedback people get um, when perhaps they're not managing their diabetes, is again, this uh, the comments about losing weight. You know, uh, what you can find is that somebody is actually getting uh, compliments because they're losing weight. And then when they, uh, when they're not managing their diabetes well and then when they start to manage it well and they're putting on weight again then the comments become more about well you appear to be filling out you appear to be putting on a bit of weight is everything all right so you've got the the reverse psychology if you like of compliments when you're doing badly and then uh concerns when you're doing well mm, that's really interesting
0: um I've also seen, you know, comments from. I think when you're diabetic, there's a lot of scrutiny on what you're doing. Generally, there's a lot of um, peer scrutiny on what you're eating or, um, or kind of how you're managing things. I, I've I've noticed that um, just kind of in my day to day life, you know, people make comments on what you eat when they know you're a, when they know you're diabetic that just aren't necessarily um, helpful. So I can imagine that would easily uh, have a fairly triggering effect on somebody that was already struggling um, with their eating.
1: Indeed. And I think anything that anything that uh, focuses attention on that when you have an eating disorder is, you know, it, it makes it much more difficult Mm-hmm. Um, you already feel bad about eating anyway and then for someone to say "Oh, should you really be eating that or can you eat that um you know makes makes things much more difficult
0: yeah absolutely and i think you know one of the things that will help broadly with that is just more uh general understanding among people of of what being um how, what having type 1 diabetes means and um what treating that condition means there's there's certainly a lot of um Guess misconceptions floating around and conflation between type one and type two that that probably isn't very helpful um I wonder Nikki if you could talk a little bit about um some of the the ways of managing diabetes that that can be difficult you know the focus on food that you need um and and why that's necessary for managing diabetes So,
2: yeah, as you said, to manage type 1 diabetes, there is this attention on food. So it involves matching your insulin doses with the amount of carbohydrates in the food that you're eating. So we teach people with diabetes to count the carbohydrates in their food. So, of course, this then involves the scrutiny of the food labels Um, and right next to carbohydrates on food labels are the calories and the fat content so the person with diabetes might then start focusing on these as well as the carbohydrates Um, and of course there's a lot of planning around food so it's meal planning and there's tips and I I don't want to say rules but rules plays into the eating disorder mindset and it Mm. could be misconstrued as rules in what we're advising people with how to manage their diabetes The other thing that happens is when a person with diabetes comes into clinic and we're looking at blood sugar levels, we often ask people what they've been eating. And it's a really unrealistic expectation to expect somebody to remember what they ate two weeks ago. But again, it's focusing on the food. And when they come into clinic, um, there's a focus on weight. So we weigh people with diabetes when they come into clinic so this mm. can lead to fear of weight gain because they're concerned about what we're going to think. And that can lead to concerns about um, body image.
0: Yeah, that's something I've experienced myself. I, Since recovering from my eating disorder, I don't weigh myself. Um, and I found um, post-recovery, I, I I used to do um, weightlifting as a sport, which was competitive and involved weighing myself a lot and knowing what weight category i was in so i could compete adequately and that just really wasn't helpful for me um as part of recovery it it just it got um like like you guys have mentioned i was very obsessive with the numbers so i um i don't know if this is something you guys would recommend perhaps you can advise on that but i request when i go into clinic that um whoever's weighing me doesn't tell me what the weight is um they just do it without me kind of looking or knowing about it is that is that a reasonable request, would you say, or a um, helpful thing to ask?
1: I would say it depends how you use it. Um, if, you, if you don't know what your weight is, then you can predict what your weight is. And if your predictions are fearful and negative, then that might influence you eating less and not taking care of yourself. So it very much depends on how you use that. I would say, you know, for, for people particularly early on in treatment, um, if they've got particularly, you know, if they, we've identified that they're at risk of an eating disorder, I would say that they're going to be making predictions about their weight that would be unhelpful. So mm. what you might do is you might at least tell them what their weight is doing, even if you're not telling them exactly what the numbers are.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I can see how that would be helpful. Thank you, Mickey. Um, that focus on on weight, um, is that something that, I mean, what's, so that happens when you come into clinic, you get weighed. What's the, I guess, medical need for that to happen with treatment? Perhaps, Mickey? So with regards to weight,
2: it can affect how much insulin a person needs. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why we need to weigh people to help advise
0: on insulin doses that makes sense um and mickey you started to mention there about um if we know somebody's at risk of developing an eating disorder what are the kind of uh red flags i guess that would that would that would make you know that
1: golly um well uh i would say Anybody who is particularly preoccupied with their weight. So they may be particularly anxious to know what their weight is doing. They may get on the scales two or three times. You may see them wearing exactly the same clothes every time they come to clinic. Um, You might see them uh, in distress if their weight is changing. Um, Any sign that they're reducing their insulin. So, for example... um, we see people who, who would come into clinic and on the face of it, you know, things are okay, but they're having the odd hypo here and there. And the suggestion is perhaps that they should reduce their insulin. If that ties in with them losing weight, then it, it needs to be considered whether actually what you're looking at is somebody who's developing an eating disorder. Um, <clears throat> the other things, of course, is um, seeing very high blood sugars. Um, and uh, where there appears to be no response in terms of taking insulin. Um, Things like complaints about pens not working, complaints about bad lots of insulin. Um, Clues like that might lead you to to think that. The other thing is um, absolutely perfect scores. So scores, uh, levels that just look wrong they look like somebody is trying too hard um we know that it's really lovely for everybody to have ideal blood sugars but actually if if they're so tight and it looks like maybe they're checking too often um they may be having um adjustment doses that are too big too small mm-hmm. it's really looking for those finer details and then actually just asking about their attitudes towards weight and shape, and seeing how they're how they're managing their feelings about it, and whether, as you say, their cup uh, it has sufficient resources in it for them to deal with what's happening.
0: That's really helpful. Thanks, Mickey. Um, that perfectionism point, uh, perfect scores, is that um, is that related to that kind of? Uh, kind of a, what am I trying to say that pursuit of perfection that that
1: seems to relate to eating disorders very much so. we, we we see um certainly with a more sort of anorexic type pattern we we see perfectionism um in too many cases for it to be a coincidence um I think the the singular drive for someone with perfectionism means that they can be very good and very skilled at you know control um, mm. and so there they can they can channel it all into controlling perfectionism and what we have to remember is that you know eating disorders are a mental health problem, and they're a mental health problem associated with high levels of anxiety, and obviously perfectionism and high levels of anxiety go together if you're not achieving perfection, you're going to get anxious. And if you're striving for perfection, the thing that's pushing you is a sense of anxiety.
0: Mm, That's really interesting. And I guess what we've seen is, you know, those people that are that are trying to be um, striving for perfection among their diabetes control. That's a totally opposite presentation to to, I assume um, to people that are struggling with diabetes burnout and are just completely disengaged from Um, managing their diabetes so I guess you have uh, type 1 diabetes and disordered eating on on those kind of well all all across that spectrum of of perfection and control and um, kind of totally checking out from control
1: and I wonder I don't know whether Lindsay has a view on this but I think you 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 jump from one to the other I think you know you you strive for your perfectionism and then when you fail then you get the burnout Mm. You know, you don't get burnout for being reasonably good at it. You get burnout from the effort of doing it, you know, to perfection. People who have a more relaxed approach to um, would, diabetes would probably not risk of burnout.
3: Yeah. Um, I think we often talk about um, a pendulum that kind of swings, you know, and sometimes people will describe that kind of pattern of swinging between those two positions that Mickey just spoke about. Um, of wanting to do it perfectly um, and really focusing and trying to get perfect numbers and putting everything in maybe at the cost of other things too. Um, But when that's not sustainable, which of course it's not, um, then there may well be a swing towards the other end of kind of, um, you know, putting it all down, wanting to put it all at the back of the, at the bottom of the pile, um, the bottom of the priority list and focusing on other things. Um, But I think it is fair to say here too, some of the things that we hear some of the people we work with saying is that actually, Sometimes what looks like being out of control with your diabetes um, and, and is a result perhaps of burnout um, and to what on the outside might look like being out of control to, to family members and people that care about the person with diabetes because they're not perhaps engaging with it. Um, to the person on the inside, sometimes feels like being in control and there's some kind of a really interesting um kind of point there i think that we hear a lot of times is that what seems on the outside out of control seems on the inside very in control so people will describe um that actually when i'm not doing any of this stuff and i'm not taking my insulin or i'm not checking in on where my blood glucose is actually i'm in charge of diabetes rather than diabetes being in charge of me
0: yeah that's really interesting um, was there anyone, anything anyone else wanted to say on that point before we move on? I just wanted to say that it's impossible
2: to perfectly control your diabetes, and that's really hard if you have that sort of a personality that you want to get it right, um, because so many other things play into a, How your blood sugars react—it's not just your food and your insulin; it's your hormones, it's the weather, it's your emotions it's everything and there's all of those things you can't control and if you have that personality where you want to control it's just out of control and I've heard it described as um like trying to balance a marble on your nose is how it is to look after your diabetes
0: yeah that's a really good analogy um yeah I certainly relate to those feelings of sometimes you just can't control it perfectly um and I guess letting go of that idea of perfect control is um for me certainly has been quite helpful to actually uh what's the right phrase for it kind of um
1: embracing living with the condition Mm. and i think us as as people who work with individuals with diabetes we need to take care that we allow people uh to you know be flexible with their management of their condition um and recognise that, you know, they're just doing their best and they're doing their best for now. And maybe it will be a bit better tomorrow, maybe their best won't be so good tomorrow, but they're doing their best.
0: Yeah, and I think that kind of um, dogmatic pressure from outside forces is is never helpful um, in terms of how you control your condition, whether that's coming from healthcare professionals or or from family or from people that care about you. It's it's not helpful to have that kind of expectation of... um, Perfect control. And for me, anyway, sometimes it kind of uh, just makes me feel a little bit worse about the whole thing.
1: And I think, to be fair, you know, who of us looks after our health perfectly? You know, who of us never has um, an extra glass of wine or a few more chocolates or, you know, who doesn't do the exercise that they should? Why would we expect someone with diabetes to do that when, you know, the rest of the population don't?
0: Yeah, it's about moderation, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. So I think um,
3: as well as... Thinking about perhaps where the drive for perfectionism comes from, perhaps from being within the individual themselves, um, and that striving, and perhaps reinforced by some of the reactions that they that people get from within their friends and family. We have to think about the, the role of perhaps the healthcare system around um, the individuals themselves as well, and the responsibility we hold in terms of thinking about the words we use um, in the language of diabetes. The language of diabetes has, has historically um, been very very black and white, very polarised in terms of um, the way we talk about uh, blood glucose levels, good and bad, controlled, not controlled, poorly controlled, adhered to, not adhered to. um, And even some of the language of, you know, dosing, you know, things like correction dose um, and blood test, they all have very inherently within them this kind of understanding of something that's possible perhaps to get right and and something that we're striving for that we expect it's possible to achieve. Um, and I think it's really, really important that systems we start and healthcare professions within those, we start to really consider the impact of that time and time again um, within what we're teaching people um, by using that kind of language. And that links very nicely to the the language matters documents that was written a few years back and is you know most diabetes clinicians now are very aware of and I think it's really important for us to think very carefully about our role within that and how we can start to right from the very beginning right from kind of you know um, diagnosis be thoughtful about the, the words that we use with people and the way that we set this up for people going forward.